0: And do ask that you pray for our Sunday school classes as they dismiss, and certainly at the changing of the guard as Jen takes over her term with the young ones. Uh, I know that the the young ones from my household were pretty excited about that transition, so do pray for them. Turn in your Bibles to Jude as we continue our study through uh, these first two verses, and there's still another outline to go on just these first two verses, so bear with me. We've looked at sanctification. We've looked at preservation, and as I mentioned last time, the very next thing we see there is this calling. I'm going to read those first two verses before we jump in. Jude, uh, only chapter there is, first two verses. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And as I said, the next outline is literally going to cover the latter part of the second verse here. But we want to look at that very final word of verse 1. This word is the Greek word, kletos. means, uh, and can mean, and, and translated elsewhere as invited or appointed. Um, It's specifically speaking to a saint according to Strong's. It's called or uh, being called, invited by God in the proclamation of the gospel to obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom through Christ, called to the discharge of some office divinely selected and appointed. The word uh, invited that we use here, and I know we tend to avoid that word, uh, I will make reference to that again here in just a moment. We saw a great deal of foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge to be specific, in our study of his sanctification and his preservation of us from this text. And then this tiny word, cult, we see salvation come to man. We we literally see the application of all the work that went into the preservation and the uh, sanctification, we see that applied to its target, uh, to its love interest, if you'll allow me to use the phrase. This calling is literally the connective tissue between those great graces that we've discussed thus far. In the Strong's definition, I love the, uh, he's got many definitions for this word. There's a part of it uh, that he italicizes and says, as though you're invited to a banquet. And indeed, beloved, we have been called to something wonderful. Uh, and we can rejoice in this life for what it is we've been called to. Uh, I know, again, we come back to that let's, as though our lunch money has been stolen analogy, but we do. We carry ourselves with such misery as we hear of uh, so-called Chinese balloons floating all over the world and what might be happening. I can tell you what's happening. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And what's been uh, taken care of through sanctification and preserved and applied to us is about to come to fruition. We're about to depart. I don't think we should be fretting. I, and I also don't think that it's any more believable that it's China than if it was Biden, just so that I can go ahead and say that and throw that out there. But a celebration, as we've, uh, as we've seen in our other studies, that God rejoices his people and we're going to one day, very soon, rejoice with God and with the rest of his people. What a wonderful thing to know that the continual strife over doctrine and what is heresy and what is not heresy and broken fellowship and mended wounds that, uh, that we've trusted to God for so many ages, we're going to see all of that come to pass. We're going to see the conclusion of strife, the conclusion of contention. The conclusion of discontentment. The conclusion of uh, wickedness. The conclusion of the rebellion that resides in our own hearts even to this day. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55: Ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no mercy, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Isaiah says, Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Here, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David, which we've discussed quite a bit, the everlasting life promise. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God. And for the Holy One of Israel... For he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the, righteous, the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If you're there in Isaiah 55, you might want to mark that part of the scripture. Abundant pardon is what it's going to take. We have abundantly sinned, abundantly rebelled, abundantly offended the God and creator of this universe. It's going to take abundant pardon. It's not going to take the pardon man can muster. It's not going to take the the pardoning promise of this world. It's going to take abundant pardon. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it, bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign or banner that shall not be cut off. Hmm. What is it to be called of this God? The promise of an unabundant pardon. The promise of the sure mercies of David, everlasting life. The very strength described here causes the nature, uh, what we know of nature, to fold in upon itself. To take on a personification and, and respond emotionally, which we've never seen the earth do. We've never seen creation do this. Why? Because we're not the master of this creation. He is. And what he has created will respond to him as instructed. One day every knee shall bow. You who are here, you might not want to bow that day. But you will. When it says here the trees shall clap their, the, the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I don't think this is hyperbole. I think that if the Lord commanded the trees to clap their hands, they would. And the Lord said himself, if, I, uh, if he had desired it, the very rocks would cry out his name and sing his praises. And they do more in doing that than we do at times. Of this text, there is a lesson of context. Though some do not seem to come to the banquet or to the Lord at the speed we may expect or desire Isaiah says in in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 55, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Matthew Henry comments on this text and says, all are welcome to the blessings of salvation. And we're not uh, preaching heresy here or or rerouting what we've preached from this pulpit. What Jude writes of here is a common salvation. We're going to see that phrase in verse 3. He's writing of a common salvation. He's writing of something that was presented to all equally. Not attainable by all, but presented to all. That's our responsibility, is to present this common salvation unto all the nations. Because we don't know who the elect are. We're not required to know who the elect are, but we are required to preach. We, you and me, we're required to preach. He says, all are welcome to the blessings of salvation, to whom those blessings are welcome. In Christ there is enough for all and enough for each. Those satisfied with the world that see no need of Christ do not thirst. They are in no uneasiness about their souls. But where God gives grace, he gives a thirst after it. And where he has given a thirst after it, he will give it. I don't agree every time Matthew Henry has written something. um, But I think this is phrased very well and, and obviously very carefully. Where God gives grace, he gives a thirst after it. And where he has given a thirst after it, he will give it. This is the calling. Some will argue, and some who are very knowledgeable with doctrine will argue, Well, not all will be called, brother. Yup. We don't do that calling. The general call of common salvation goes out to all the earth. It goes out to every man, woman, and child. And almost in an ignorant fashion, because we don't know who should receive it, who will receive it, we give it to all. And God does the rest. God gives the increase. God makes that general call effectual for his elect. And for the rest, they weren't thirsty to begin with. If he hasn't made them thirsty, they won't be thirsty. If he hasn't made them, as Matthew Henry says, uneasy or uncomfortable or unhappy, they won't repent. They have their reward. They have what they'd like, what they would desire. And they're enjoying it. This is the invitation and it is always there as long as the church still exists here on the earth. It will not be heeded though unless there is a God-given thirst. In the flesh you would never desire holiness. I mean, it's contradictory for our flesh to desire holiness. Why would the very thing that is to be consecrated for us to seek holiness desire for us to have holiness? And as dead man, you would never be able to grant yourself life nor even call out for it. A dead man is content in all his ways. He's dead, stone-cold dead. And as the body loses life, it gets stiff. It's, it's firm in its foundation of being dead. A dead man doesn't desire life, doesn't call out for life, doesn't answer uh, to the call of others trying to uh, tempt it to life or persuade it to life. A dead man's dead and has no ability to discern anything. It's dead. But a dead man called of God, this same God that can cause for the trees of the field to clap their hands, well, we have an illustration of it, when Lazarus was dead, Four days in the tomb. And the Lord says, Lazarus, come forth. And indeed he did. This is the God of the universe. The supreme ruler of all things. Including humanity. We won't outgrow him. And we won't outsmart him. And we surely won't outrun him. John 7 verses 37 through 39 says, In that last day, That great day in the feast, Jesus stood and cried, and we're going to see this in uh, in the next couple of Sundays. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He's, this feast, this very feast that we've just started in our Sunday afternoon studies, this is the last day of that feast when he stands up and says this. And he says it to a Jerusalem that's torn asunder, literally divided in half between people who are for him and people who are against him. Folks are led to pick sides. And everyone in this room has a side in that same battle. Atheism is a farce. You believe in something other than God if you're an atheist, but you believe in something. I'm trying to think of the term. It doesn't matter. It comes down to a translation of the term as ignoramus, as one who believes in nothing. It's not possible. It's like not thinking about something. You're literally thinking about something at all times. We're susceptible to these things, but we have a sign. Isaiah says, come and buy. Make it your own by application of the grace of the gospel to yourselves. All that you have, all that you are, is to be given up. For the born-again believer now has Christ. What can compare? I don't do well at this myself, but when we read through Isaiah 55, especially the first part, he talks about wasting money. And I think about it today, and I think, boy... I do the exact same thing, and this isn't some old dead scripture. This still applies today. You know, recessions and uh, and, and the things that we're going through right now in 2023 would not have an impact on us if we weren't out buying PlayStations, but rather buying bread. If we weren't out buying a new car every year or two, but actually buying meat, actually buying the things that we need to get through this life instead of the things we'd like to have. And this transition happened in Genesis 3, did it not? When we went through that on our Wednesday night study, we saw Adam and Eve were content and then suddenly desirous, seeing the fruit as something to be desired or something good to eat that they never had a need of before and that they were literally commanded to abstain from. He says, come and eat. Make it still more your own and enjoy it. Crave it for yourself and invite others to the meal. That they might be made witnesses of God's goodness. The world comes short of our expectations, but Christ outdoes our expectations. What's that word before pardon there again? Abundantly. And he can do exceeding abundantly. More than we ever thought we'd need and more than we'd ever even think to ask for. That is what he is capable of. That is the deliverance of God. God. The gifts offered to us are such as no price can set upon. Something so invaluable, certainly everybody would desire it. Not those who have not been effectually called. Not those who have not been given a desire. Oh, preacher, that's crazy. Every man has the right to choose. You do have the right to choose. You don't have the desire to. If you're lost, you have no desire for everlasting life. It has no value to you. I hold up my car keys at this time and say, I would give them to anyone in here, but without the car, they're useless. I'm offering you the keys, but I'm not offering you the car. Beloved, there's a value Mindset that's being spoken here of Isaiah, one that we're not in control of, and that's what he's illustrating at the end of Isaiah 55, is all these things responding, uh, and I mentioned personification, responding like human, though we've never seen that possible. He's describing one who can make that possible and saying that's really no different than taking that stony heart and replacing it with a heart of flesh. It's really no complication for a God who can make trees clap to make you desirous of everlasting life. Understand, beloved, the things offered here, though they're of great value to the born again, they're already paid for. Christ purchased them at the full price of his own blood. It wasn't a discount because he was family. He paid the full price. He experienced a forsaking that we, born again, will never know. A separation from the Father. Hearken diligently. Let the proud heart stoop. Not only come, but claim God's offers, ye who are saved. Do not hide behind. behind. I attend from time to time, and that's enough. But rather partake in all his promises. Claim them as your own and proclaim them to the world. Jesus loves you, beloved saint of God. We've got a lot of interesting soap boxes that people stand on these days. I've got family that says you don't have to be in church to be a Christian. You can worship outside the church. Oh, how little man knows in his natural estate of what worship truly is. How can we worship in spirit and in truth when we abstain from his very commandments, when we abstain from his people? How can we truly Put his will before our own when we're not willing to let go of our own things for him. When we're not willing to die unto ourselves, our reputations, and come faithfully unto him. Well, preacher, I don't know what will happen if I did that. If I joined up. If I followed diligently. What are you afraid will happen? That there will be great rewards in the kingdom? that the phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant, might be applied to you? What are you afraid might happen? It has nothing to do with eternal life, does it? What you're afraid of is that it'll be embarrassing, that maybe you'll be embarrassed outside those doors, or maybe you'll be embarrassed because you don't live up to some mark inside these doors. I can assure you, the pastor has set the bar pretty low. I am an ever wicked sinner. And you're not competing with me for a seat, a right-hand seat to the Lord Jesus. But you have nothing to be ashamed of here. All of us are weak. All of us are heavy laden, overburdened, overcome. All of us are struggling. All of us are continually in need of repentance. Now, joining up here You won't be shamed. That's the devil. That's the devil telling you to abstain from such things. Stay away from this. You don't want that, Mark. Do you not want that, Mark? Do you not want this precious treasure that's been described here? This faithfulness that the Lord is is illustrating in the simple little word called? All the wealth and pleasure in the world will not yield solid comfort and contentment to the soul. They do not satisfy even the appetites of the body, for all is vanity and vexation. You who are most happy in the world, do you not yet have to get up tomorrow and eat again? Do you not have to be filled once more? But out of the belly comes everlasting waters, everlasting hope. If we would but listen, if we would but truly worship, If we would but truly die unto ourselves, empty ourselves of the things that we've allowed the world to fill in, and there's no gaps to fill in, so we're really gluttons punishing ourselves in a way that those who are saved already have been filled up and called to pour forth, and yet we just shove it down. More cake, more cake, more cake, we say. We aren't to have anything to do with it. We'll be filled and satisfied and cared for by our Heavenly Father. Filthy rich? No. Driving Lamborghinis? No. We don't need those things. We need Jesus. And we've been commissioned to others that desperately need Jesus while we sit in fear of Chinese balloons, of our own government, of of a history of racism. What foolishness! Can history stand before us? Can history truly harm us? But we're allowing it to. Do we fear the harlot as though Rome is outside those doors? Because she sure is. We shouldn't have any fear of her. The gates of hell have no power here, lest we've given over land to it. Have we? Have we parceled off the property that's been given to us of the kingdom? In hopes that we'll please the harlot, in hopes that we'll please the world, in hopes that our meager traditions shall live on. Fast grown and fast wasted are the bounties of this life. Let the disappointments we meet with in this world help us to drive, help to drive us to Christ and to seek satisfaction in Him only. Then and not before, we shall find rest for our souls. Why are our souls so weary? Why are we so vexed? Because we continue to try to have it all. We're not called to have it all. We're called to have Christ. That's what this word is referencing. We're invited to a banquet. You know what Elisha did when he was invited? He went back, sold all, burnt the oxen, and followed after Elisha. That is how we are to pursue That is how we are to follow Christ. You've called me? You want me to follow? You want me to serve? You're going to use me in some capacity? Sell it all! I have no need of this thing. Think of Sam Rue when he was here a few weeks back. Might have health problems. Might have this, that, and the other thing. I'm going back to Trinidad. He, He said, I'm going back to Trinidad on the 28th. He got there on the 27th. I don't know how that worked, but... He went back. Why? Because that's the mission field the Lord called him to. He rejoiced to know he had a purpose in the kingdom. He had a purpose here in the creation. And nothing else mattered. We can build buildings that fast too if we lived a life in which nothing else mattered. We can see uh, the Lord work in our daily lives if we lived like nothing else mattered. We proved last summer through a brief period of fasting or giving up distractions that he's working constantly, but we don't see it because we're not looking. On what easy terms is happiness offered us? By the sure mercies of David, we are to understand the Messiah. All his mercies are covenant mercies. They are purchased by him. They are promised in him. And out of his hand, they are dispensed to us. We know not how to find the way to the waters, but Christ is given to be a leader, a commander, to show us what to do and enable us to do it. So what then is our business? Our business is to follow. Our business is to be disciples. Our business is to obey. There's no coming to the Father but by Jesus. And if you're called, he's made that way clear. He's made that highway plain. And it's a straight, afflicted gate. But it's your path. For the saint of God, who's been called, who's been sanctified and preserved and called, you're going to find more affliction avoiding the path you've been called to than simply following and obeying. He is the only one of Israel, true to his promises, and he has promised to glorify God the Father, by giving him the heathen for his inheritance, God the Father glorifies the Son. John 14:6, Jesus saith unto him, "I am the way, the truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We cannot dictate who will be saved, nor the speed at which they would respond to his calling on them, which is why we have been given the gift of grace. And we so desperately need that gift, and yet sometimes we forgive to show that, forget to show that gift. Preach and witness, beloved, as though all are elect. God will not mistakenly take one that is not his own because we preached in error. Have you ever thought about that? We're not to preach heresy, but he's not going to accidentally save someone because we gave the gospel to one who's not elect. That would be as foolish as saying we gave the gospel to one whose salvation won't be revealed for another 30 years. We, We gave them hope too soon. We really messed up. Not so. His word will not return unto him void. His word will accomplish the very purpose it was sent to accomplish. We ever think of words in such fashion? I think we'd be more careful with our words if we did. This same portion of Isaiah says in verse 10 and 11, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither. Think about that. The Lord does not call snow back into the heavens. He has dispatched it. He has sent it for a purpose. Some are thinking, well, evaporation, preacher. And that comes back too, does it not? This atmosphere is is very much responsive to the hand of God. He created it. He knows how it works. It watereth the earth, it has a purpose. And that makes the uh, it maketh and maketh it bring forth in bud. He's speaking here of springtime, of what we're about to experience, all that's made possible by what we've just endured, that it might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And here we see bread mentioned again at the beginning of Isaiah 55. It was mentioned as the one thing we should be investing in the one thing that we should be purchasing, that which is needful to the body to continue to work. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. If the Lord was more direct here, he'd say, my word is more focused than my servant's. My word goes exactly where it's intended to and accomplishes exactly what it was told to accomplish. And it never comes back empty. It never comes back vain. It never comes back wasted. Evaporation, as I mentioned, that's the slow process in which rain and snow does return to the heavens, but not before it accomplishes the task of watering the earth. And then it's redispatched to do it once more. Of this intentional watering we see that it is destined to be fertile ground. Praise God. Look at verse 13 of Isaiah 55. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. The thorn was the curse. The thorn was our inheritance delivered to Adam there in Genesis 3. But instead of that thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Oh, how glorious, how wonderful. God's word is spread by his people to all ends of the earth. And for whom it was intended, they will be found as fruitful seed. Though the blooming and the blossoming of each intended child of the king might grow at different rates, let them be fed of his gospel. Let them be cleansed by his sacrifice. Let them continue to be found fruitful as the great husbandman tends to the branches of his wonderful vine, as illustrated there in John 15. And sadly, for time's sake, we'll have to stop there for today and we'll pick it back up with uh, some some Romans 8 references to expound further on called.